BetMGM has an unreal deal for sports fans in Virginia. Turn $5 into $150 instantly when you place your first wager at BetMGM. Simply download the BetMGM app and sign up using code CHAMPION150. Then, place a $5 wager on any sport. You'll receive $150 in bonus bets, regardless of your wager's outcome. And if you think the fun stops there, the king of sportsbooks has plenty of surprises in store. Check out daily promotions, same game parlays, live bets, and so much more. Download the app in Virginia today and get $150 in bonus bets instantly from your first wager only at BetMGM. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms. 21 plus only. Virginia only. New customer offer. Subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Please gamble responsibly. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Promotional offer not available in Washington, D.C. When I got back to my hotel in Lexington after speaking with Ricky, there was a package waiting just like he said there would be. The tapes he alluded to in our interview. I asked who brought the package in, and the attendant described a pretty generic-sounding white male. I noticed a surveillance camera over his shoulder pointing toward me. I asked if I could look at the footage, and he very politely, but very firmly, relieved me of any hope of viewing the recordings. It was worth a shot. I opened the manila envelope in my hotel room, and to my disappointment, They were literally tapes. Shit, what am I going to do with VHS tapes in 2018? Fortunately, I work for a national network of news stations, and we have an affiliate in Lexington that was able to transfer them to a digital format for me. But in order to do so, we had to let them play out and record each of the three tapes on a separate file. So for the next seven and a half hours, I sat in an AV closet, watching one of the most disturbing things I'd ever seen. Before we go on to what was recorded on the tapes, let's go back to something we talked about in the first episode. The weekend before her death, Lisa disappeared for two days and reemerged on the third day. The owner of the diner where she worked assumed that she'd walked out on the job. When she returned, the owner could tell that Lisa was distressed She didn't ask questions, but she gave her her old job back. A 911 call had been placed asking about how to report a kidnapping, but the call was disconnected. It's widely believed that Lisa placed this call. Ricky reported calling Lisa's mom, Angela Banks, asking about Lisa. According to Ricky, Angela Banks said that Lisa was probably fine wherever she was, indicating that she wasn't home and Angela wasn't particularly worried. What I watched for those seven hours at our affiliate station seems to solve the mystery of where Lisa was the weekend before her death. On the screen in front of me is a girl in her late teens. She's restrained to a chair, her head down, her hair covering her face. She seems to be trying her best to hide from the camera. The tapes are compilations of recorded segments. They all appear to have been recorded in the same room. The girl is always in the center of the frame. Someone behind the camera presses record and steps out into view. Other adults move in and out of the frame. The natural light in each segment of film is a little different, indicating that time is passing between the recorded segments. Some of them look like they're at night. It's not always the same adults in the room, 
they seem to be taking shifts. There are usually three, but never fewer than two, and never more than four. The only constant presence is the girl, restrained and centered in the frame. The segments are between five and 45 minutes in length. The girl in the chair rarely moves or reacts to what's going on around her, except for instinctual fear responses. She seems like she may be medicated. I can't tell for sure, because her hair obscures her face, but it looks like Lisa Banks. Early into the segments of film, I realize what I'm about to watch. It's an exorcism. This is Olive Hill. Before we proceed, let's set the stage, because you probably have a certain idea of what an exorcism looks like from movies and TV. I know that I do. This isn't anything like what you've seen on TV, with a composed, stoic cleric performing rituals over a possessed subject struggling against their restraints. Now, this, this was a complete mess. There is one exception where it resembled a scene from a movie, and that's because they were literally reenacting a scene from The Exorcist. The scene where the priest shouts, the power of Christ compels you. But there's another segment where a man in his 40s or 50s attempts to read Latin phrases from the Bible and mostly stutters through it and botches the pronunciations. I'm fine. I got it. Let's go. There's a long argument about the definition of holy water. It has to be blessed by a priest. It doesn't have to. All water was made by God, so it's all holy water. Well, yeah, but it has to There's a segment where three adults are standing around a metal bowl burning some kind of leafy plant, but they set off the smoke detector. Two of the adults in the room started fighting in the middle of one of their rituals. I told you to buy sage. This is collard greens. Oh, God damn it, Carl. I can't do oh, anything right. Oh, blasphemy during an exorcism. That's it's a comedy of errors. It would be more funny than sinister if it weren't for the girl sitting in the center, restrained and afraid, keeping her head down, trying her best to be invisible. Oh, and did you recognize that voice at the end? That was Carla Hayes, Ricky Allen's mother. The tapes are time-stamped. However, that's not definitive. Back then, the user set the time and date manually, and it would need to be reset whenever the battery was changed. As a result, a lot of timestamps from this period are wildly inaccurate. With that disclaimer in mind, the timestamps on these recordings spanned the dates of July 11th through July 14th of 2001. They line up with the dates that Lisa was missing, a week before the night of July 20th. July 14th was the date of the mysterious 911 call, asking what happens when someone reports a kidnapping before hanging up. The call is widely believed to have been made by Lisa Banks. If the timestamps are inaccurate, that would be a hell of a coincidence. I've left several messages for Carla. I don't expect her to call me back. I drove to Olive Hill looking for Ricky or Carla. Carla wasn't home, and I knocked on Ricky's door for a long time. I could hear him moving around inside, but he refused to answer the door, even to tell me to go away. I returned the tapes to a very annoyed and unfriendly clerk at the police department. Obviously, I still had my copies back at my hotel. I wondered if he knew what was on them. I tried contacting Sheriff Wood, but he refused to answer my calls too. The tapes would implicate him in covering up Lisa's kidnapping. He was on the police force at the time this occurred. 
Clearly, I was onto something, and I'd hit a nerve. The problem, though, as a result, I'd burned all of my sources. So what you're about to hear is another piece of tape that we'd originally decided to cut out. But as the story progressed, we decided to leave it in, because we'll be hearing from this person again. For context, I was returning to my hotel in Lexington after a frustrating day in Olive Hill. I was walking through the hotel lobby and taking notes on my handheld recorder when the front desk attendant recognized me. All right, can you introduce yourself? My name is Caitlin. I grew up in Olive Hill just a few years after Esther. I can't believe you're interviewing me. Caitlin is a manager at the hotel where I stay in Lexington. She also left Olive Hill to come to the University of Kentucky and stayed in Lexington after graduating. And what the hell? I've burned everyone else except Anthony. So, um, I left Olive Hill in 2003. The town feels different, but also the same. What have I missed? What's changed? I don't know. I mean, nothing much changes over here. When did you come to Lexington? It was uh, 2008. So I noticed that Mercy and Light doesn't have the presence that it used to have. Oh my god, you heard what happened, didn't you? I've heard a few things. Was your family Mercy and Light? No, we were Central Presbyterian. Can you tell me a little bit about what happened with Mercy and Light? Well, there were a few things that happened, one in particular, though. Yeah, I tell you what, though, I have to get back to work, but what are you doing later tonight? I'm actually meeting Anthony Bledsoe in a couple of hours. Oh my god! Do you think he did it? Did he have something to do with the girls? He was cleared back in 2001. Yeah, but what do you think? How about I catch up with you in the next couple of days? Of course. Let me give you my number. So you've burned everyone. Like, everyone. That's Anthony Bledsoe again. He called to say that he was going to be back in Lexington and wanted to catch up. Since I'd burned all of my leads and everything was coming up as a dead end, I couldn't see any reason not to even if just to pass the time. You always seem to pop up when I'm out of leads. Is that so? Yep, every time. I'm starting to think you're following me. You overestimate me. Is that so? Well, speaking of all of my burned leads, Ricky mentioned that you all spoke after our first interview. He said you convinced him to talk to me. I don't think I convinced him. It's more like he believed you were actually trying to help. Anytime someone turns up to look into Violet and Lisa, they get in contact with both of us. We usually tell them to fuck off, but I remembered you, so I figured why not. It felt like you were the real deal. Do you guys keep in touch? Not really. We never had much in common, but when you've been locked up and suspected by the entire town of murdering your girlfriend, there's a limited pool of people that you can relate to on that level. Maybe you can convince him to talk to me again sounds like he's pretty much put it all out on the table. You shouldn't be so hard on yourself, though. People have been trying to figure this out for 15 years, and you are miles ahead of them. I don't know about miles. So tell me about these tapes he gave you. It's insane, Anthony. Mercy and Light, they abducted her. Lisa, at least I'm 99% sure that it was Mercy and Light. And if it wasn't the church as an institution behind it, it was definitely church members. Why would they do that? They tried to do an exorcism. No way. They did. It's all on tape. Lisa, I'm 99% sure that it's Lisa, is restrained to a chair for two or three days. I can't tell exactly. 
So they bungle their way through all of these bizarre rituals. Here's the thing, though. Carla Hayes, Ricky's mom, she's one of the people holding Lisa no, against her will. No, no, no. Yeah. Holy yeah. shit. Did you recognize anyone else on the tapes? A couple of faces looked familiar, but I can't put names to them. Well, there's your lead. That's way past your dead end. Figure out who those other people are and then try to find them. I mean, I could help you with that. I might recognize some of them. It wasn't a good idea to let him see the tapes. But it also wasn't the worst idea. And it was my best chance to find a way forward. It's already getting late. Don't you need to get back to Cincinnati? I can take a sick day tomorrow. Besides, we might just solve the biggest mystery in the history of our hometown. Are you mocking me now? No. I would never mock you. What about your secret admirer? Is she going to miss you? I don't have any idea what you're talking about. The envelope on the table by the door. All fancy and decorated. What was her name? Oh, that, that's nothing. Mm-hmm. Anyway, just because you don't know her doesn't make it a secret. Touché. We went back to the hotel where I'd left my computer and USB containing the footage. I hooked my computer up to the TV with an HDMI. Okay, here we go. Consider yourself warned, it gets weird. Noted. Seriously, though, you're closer to this than I am. Are you sure you want to see this? If I could help, I'm completely on board. my god. Oh my god. Look how young she is. I forget how tiny she was. We didn't watch the whole thing. We fast-forwarded through different segments of film, stopping to see if he could identify any of the faces. He wasn't much help. How does this end? I mean, they're pretty serious, and they're fucking crazy. They've kidnapped somebody. I can't imagine them just letting her go without some kind of resolution. I found the clip with the ending so he could see it. The final segment of film. It started in the middle of the scene. Like it just started happening and someone turned on the camera after they'd realized what was going on. Lisa was there, still restrained to the chair. It was the only time she could be seen interacting with her captors. The audio quality is awful. You can't make out enough to even speculate on what she's saying. She's crying, and her voice is shaking and cracking. She's begging them. The adults are gathered around her and they're asking her questions. I can make out some of what the adults were asking. Who else knows about this? When was the last time you had contact with one of these spirits? Will you accept the Lord and rid yourself of the devil? Every single one of these questions might have been asked in Salem during the 17th century. Lisa answered all of their questions. By the look on her face and her body language, she would have said anything to get out of that room. I watched Anthony through that part of the tape, looking for clues on how he was processing this. I couldn't read him, but he didn't have anything to say when it was over. When we finished the last tape, it was almost three in the morning. My room had two beds, and I offered the one I wasn't using to him. 
He was asleep within minutes of lying down. I stayed awake for a while. Back home when we were kids, Anthony and I wouldn't have had anything to do with each other. He was a popular kid, outgoing, kind of douchey. I was shy and awkward. Now we're crashing in the same hotel room like it's no big deal. It's funny how time and distance wear down those rigid social walls. They fall apart almost immediately out in the real world. I laid awake and I looked out the window. City lights as far as you can see. I thought again about the guy I started seeing in college, just before spring break, when I left for New York and never came back. It's not like I miss him, or wonder what might have been, no offense if he's listening, but I sometimes wonder what my life would have been like if I came back, just as planned. If I finished college, got a normal job, met someone and lived a normal life. I don't regret the life I've lived, but every now and then I feel a strange nostalgia for the life that didn't happen. I think about the two girls I've been researching, investigating and frankly obsessing over, and I wonder if I'm taking for granted a life they never got to have. My college friends knew some people in the city, so we had a place to stay. We spent a couple of days doing the touristy stuff, taking group photos with those cheap digital cameras from the Empire State Building, the Statue of Liberty, photos outside under the marquee for Broadway shows we couldn't afford, completely oblivious that we were blocking the sidewalk. We were exactly the kind of people that annoy me now as a full-time New Yorker. But I was awestruck by the city. The people we were staying with were going to a party in Brooklyn. In the past, when people ask why I just ran off to the city, I would tell them something about opportunity and destiny. Here's the thing. I met a guy at that party, and we hung out for the next couple of days until it was time for us to load up in the car and make the 11-hour drive home. I'd never done an impulsive thing in my life. I'd never taken any risks, and some switch just flipped and I didn't go home. The relationship with the guy I met at the party only lasted a couple of weeks, but I wasn't ready to leave yet. The thing is, I was afraid to tell my mom. She still thought I was in school. I called and lied about what I was doing, the classes I was taking. None of it was real. I told her I couldn't come home on the weekends because this semester was really kicking my ass and I needed to focus. When summer came, I couldn't keep up the lie any longer. When I finally told her, that's what broke us. My mom was terrified that I'd leave her, and while she sat at home wondering how to convince me to stay close, I was already gone. I have a lot of mixed feelings about how I was raised and our relationship, but that, that one thing, I regret that more than anything I've done. I wish I'd just told her right away, but some things you can't take back. I woke up the next morning and Anthony was shaking my shoulder. He said my phone was blowing up. I'd fallen asleep with my contacts in, so when I tried to read the missed calls and texts, it was through irritated eyes and blurry vision. There were three missed calls and two texts from Ricky Allen. Hey, um, it's Ricky. Mom's in the hospital. Call me back. This is Olive Hill.
BetMGM has an unreal deal for sports fans in Virginia. Turn $5 into $150 instantly when you place your first wager at BetMGM. Simply download the BetMGM app and sign up using code CHAMPION150. Then, place a $5 wager on any sport. You'll receive $150 in bonus bets, regardless of your wager's outcome. And if you think the fun stops there, the king of sportsbooks has plenty of surprises in store. Check out daily promotions, same game parlays, live bets, and so much more. Download the app in Virginia today and get $150 in bonus bets instantly from your first wager only at BetMGM. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms. 21 plus only. Virginia only. New customer offer. Subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Please gamble responsibly. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Promotional offer not available in Washington, D.C.